0: News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. A lot has happened over the last two weeks. I apologize for um, not publishing an episode last Monday, but I do think I have a good excuse. One... Andrew Cook, who's my chief of staff, my right hand in this entire operation, both the Messiah Strategies consulting side and the production of this podcast, uh, got married and decided to take a honeymoon because that's what people do after they get married. And so he was gone for a week, which overlapped the release of the Monday podcast. And then also I decided to take a break and fly to... Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, with my wife and two kids and my baby sister. And we had a great six day relaxing vacation. It's not quite as relaxing when you take your kids, but it was fantastic. It was absolutely a blast. The kids had a blast. Wife and I had a blast. My baby sister was super helpful and got a little bit of break for herself. And so anyways, we enjoyed that time, which also then meant that I was flying out on Monday and Sunday I was packing and I just thought doing this entire thing on my own seemed like a whole heck of a lot of work. So Andrew, thank you so much for all you do to help produce this podcast because I realized that if I'm trying to do it on my own, I, uh, I don't know. I'm a little bit helpless. So... Um, let's talk about a couple things that happened, and I don't want to take too much of y'all's time, but we're going to cover today Alan West, we're going to talk about Greg Abbott, and we're going to talk about Neil Gorsuch, uh, probably in that order. So first of all, Alan West. Uh, many of y'all saw that my last podcast, or a couple podcasts ago, was about James Dickey and why I couldn't support James Dickey for chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, and uh, that is a true statement. And if you want to go back to that episode, you can. Uh, We actually shared that episode with all of the delegates uh, when the convention started. We got a ton of feedback, and some of it was not so positive, but a ton of it was positive. In fact, much more of it was positive than negative uh, regarding the delegates that just reached out and thanked us for articulating their frustrations and one of their key frustrations when it came to why they didn't feel uh, comfortable with supporting James Dickey's re-election. Now, Alan West won in what could be called a landslide election. And uh, and just to you know preface this, if you haven't heard the James Dickey deal, um, I don't enjoy opposing James Dickey. In fact, James is somebody who I respect as an individual, as a person. I think he means well, uh, and I don't want to go into everything I said in the last podcast. So you can go back and listen to that podcast. But at the end of the day, Alan West won, and he won with a coalition of support. And I'm going to say that he won with three key coalitions. One uh, was grassroots conservatives. And these are grassroots conservative activists who were upset that James Dickey's loyalties had shifted from being an ambassador for the grassroots to elected officials to being an ambassador for elected officials to the grassroots. And that is a key move and a key shift that happens in some chairman. And if they do that, they can lose grassroots supporters that they had. And there's no question that James Dickey's had, James Dickey had all of the grassroots conservative Republicans supporting his chair re-election when he ran against Cindy Ash, when Cindy Ash challenged him for the chair. And and Cindy had a lot of the more establishment, moderate Republican factions in her camp. So where's the second pillar come from, Alan West's support? And the second pillar was more establishment, moderate Republicans. Now, a lot of the grassroots conservatives, because I, w- I will say this, there are conservative Republicans, strong conservative Republicans, full spectrum conservatives who supported James Dickey's re-election and got very upset at those of us who opposed him. And a lot of times they pointed to the moderate establishment Republicans who were supporting Alan West. Uh, and I will tell you that my view of that entire faction support is that they supported Alan based on personality. Um, They supported Alan based on the fact that they were never with James Dickey from the beginning. They didn't support him. Therefore they were not in what would be considered his inner circle. Um, And they felt like they were on the outside. And so for them to oppose the enemy of my enemy as my friend, that uh, led to a very logical conclusion for them to reach which was supporting Alan West and his chairman's race. And then the third group was just people completely disenfranchised with the online convention that should have never happened. Now, I I will say this. I do think that Alan West was going to win re-election. I just think he wasn't going to win re-election as soundly as he ended up winning it. I think that that was due to... um, The virtual convention. And to back up, the reality is that Governor Abbott, when he set out his executive order and he banned large gatherings, he specifically said in that that localities had to approve local gatherings. And that was Abbott's attempt to hopefully empower Democrats locally in the Houston area to get out of the state convention, to cancel the state convention. In fact, Greg Abbott refused to ever commit to even showing up to his own Republican state convention at one point he said well we'll have to see the safety protocols that come out and everybody knew that greg abbott wasn't going to come to the convention and then uh the gop did something very strange they said that all of our state elected officials and this is at the time when dan patrick had said hey it's in person and i will attend it so we knew we would have people like sid miller and dan patrick and others who would attend the state convention and address the delegates in the delegate hall and they said well we're going to have all of our state elected officials uh address us via video. And and this was a move in an attempt to cover for Greg Abbott, who wasn't even going to come to the convention. right? And so there were just a lot of actions taken. Um, Abbott's pressure on the GOP from the beginning to take it virtual, set up a situation where James Dickey was put in a place where he told the SREC, we're completely ready to go with our virtual convention. It is ready. It's plug and play. We're ready to do it. And uh, I I personally think, and some people might disagree, but I personally think that James did that in an effort to try to help the SREC become more comfortable with voting in favor of a virtual convention. Um, It might've been better to say, look, this is a big undertaking and it would probably be best to try to either make it work in Houston or try to make it work somewhere in like Montgomery County. But he didn't. He said virtual convention's the way to go and we've got what we need to make it happen. So the SREC decided to stay in Harris County. And then, of course, the mayor, Sylvester Turner, decided to renege on the contract. So that took them virtual. But the reason the SREC made that decision was that they have been told by their state chair that we are ready to go on virtual. It's a plug and play system. And he was given the authority to continue to move forward with that as a backup plan if the physical convention didn't work. So a lot of people said, well, James just had to throw this convention together last minute. And that's just not true. He had months of understanding that this was a real possibility. And he communicated to the grassroots that he was ready to go. And that just ended up not happening. So that was the third pillar of support for Alan West's support. Now, for those listeners out there, because I have listeners who are not Republican precinct chairs, you probably have never attended a Republican state convention. You probably never attended your precinct convention. So I'm going to give you a really quick overview of how this process works so you understand what the RPT chair is. So After you vote in the Republican primary, you may attend your precinct convention, which is held right after the polls close and you can attend there and you can pass resolutions and changes to the platform and do things that are really important just for the people literally in your precinct. And then you can get nominated, which it's not hard to do if you want to do it get nominated to go to your county convention, okay? Or your Senate district convention if you're in a county like Bear County. So Comal County, you go to the Comal County Republican Convention. And then at that convention, you can apply to say, I'd like to go on to the state convention. And at that convention, all the Republicans in Comal County, the most active activists of the party, Pass resolutions, edit the platform, uh, do different things that they think are important in regards to the party, and then you go on to the state convention. And at the state convention, uh, you elect a couple key people. You elect your SREC members, your state Republican executive committee. These, This is a man and a woman who represent each state Senate district, and these people act as the board of directors for the Republican Party of Texas. And these are contentious elections. In fact, there were incumbents that lost their reelection this time. And you're in a room of three, four or 500, 600 activists that all want to see you be their strongest representative of the Republican Party and to vote to govern the party in such a way that's reflective of the conservative grassroots agenda. And then also all of the delegates elect a chairman and a vice chair. And the vice chair has to be the opposite Gender of the chair. So if the chair is a woman, the vice chair has to be a man. If the chair is a man, the vice chair has to be a woman. And then that chairman oversees the Republican Party. It has historically been a volunteer role um, until this last chair, James Dickey. He received $150,000 a year salary. He was the first chairman. I think in recorded history, if one of y'all know of some chairman in the 40s or something that got paid, please let me know. But I think it's the first chairman in recorded history to ever receive a salary for his job because he said it's a full-time job and he needed to do it. All the other chairs had also said it was a full-time job, but James said, hey, I didn't realize how much of a full-time job it is. I can't do my other job. I need this to make sure I can continue to do full-time duties, which was fine. Um, And so... That is the chairman. The chairman helps hire and fire all of the staff of the RPT. You have an executive director. You have a communications director. You have headquarters, downtown Austin. You've got a couple dozen staff. You've got field staff throughout the state that are block walking and phone banking and talking. You're coordinating with state officials. You are taking the platform, which we have. So the Republican Party has a platform and it is the premier platform of the nation. In fact, the National Republican Convention looks at the Texas Convention, the Texas platform as a blueprint for what we believe. In fact, I was talking to another person who served on a platform committee of another state, a Republican state, and he said that when they were looking at bolstering their own platform, they got the Texas platform and said, How can we replicate this? Because it's such a cohesive, uh, full document of conservative policy ideas and solutions. Now, this is also one of the roles of the chair. The chair acts as an ambassador for the grassroots who work really, really hard to produce this platform to say, here are ideas and solutions that should succeed, that should become law. And they expect their chairman to go to state elected officials and say, hey, you get elected and you rely on all these grassroots conservative Republicans, these most active of active individuals in the state, the 7,000 most active Republicans in the entire state of Texas are the boots on the ground. They're working hard and they want to see solutions. They want to see results. When Democrats take power, they get things like Obamacare passed. When Republicans take power, we can't even repeal Democrats Obamacare, let alone advance our own agenda. This is one of the jobs of the Republican Party chairman in each state and then the Republican Party chairman nationally. And that is an area where a lot of people felt disenfranchised by James Dickey. That coalition, along with moderate Republicans who didn't like James's personality and didn't feel like they were on the inside, along with just first-time delegates who were seeing the cluster that the virtual convention ended up being, not only James's fault, but at the end of the day, he's in charge, uh, band together, and in a sweeping way, elected Alan West. So what is something that I'm really excited to see? Well, Alan West is already being a voice for the grassroots. In fact, one of the top 10 agenda items that the grassroots voted to make their policy Uh, agenda for priorities was curbing of the executive powers, was basically removing and reducing how much authority Greg Abbott has during times of crisis. And that's a pretty telling thing that a majority of the GOP delegates voted to say, this is a priority for me to make sure that we reduce the power that Governor Abbott has. It's telling. Alan West, in an interview that he did just a couple days after getting elected, said, I don't agree with the statewide mask mandate. I think that you should focus on where you have the most vulnerable and critical populations and the biggest issues. And as somebody who just came back from Tennessee, where they don't have a statewide mask mandate, I can say that it makes a whole heck of a lot more sense. And when you look at the fact that a majority of the Texans who had been dying from COVID up until a week ago were in nursing homes, were the most vulnerable individuals in our society you realize that we can take the most vulnerable populations and tell them you have to be really, really, really careful. And then we can take the rest of Texans and say, look, COVID is a nasty disease. It is a dangerous disease. And if you get it, you could die. So take that into consideration. Calculate your own risks and know that every time you get in a car and drive on the highway, you're also taking a risk know that every time you send your kids out to summer camp, you're taking a risk. Bad things have happened at summer camp. Know that uh, whenever you make a decision on something to do in your life, you are likely taking a risk and you're making that calculation on your own because you know your life better than the government does. Now, Alan West didn't say nobody wear a mask. He didn't say that. He just said, I think the statewide mask mandate is out of touch, which is largely what the republican grassroots conservatives would believe in fact the vast majority of them would hold to that same perspective so it's great to see alan west already taking a position that aligns himself with the conservative grassroots even though it's at odds with one of the more powerful state elected officials in texas so as far as i'm concerned alan west has given us some very good indicators and that is a great segue into governor abbott um hurricane hannah hit texas and uh When Governor Abbott was giving a press briefing on the hurricane, uh, he said an important thing is to remember that just because a hurricane comes to the state doesn't mean COVID-19 disappears. I advise against different households from sheltering together. Why the heck the governor decided to make this part of his press briefing regarding a natural disaster that was going to hit the Texas coast, I don't understand but it really shows how obsessed the governor is with this. And not not just with COVID, but with micromanaging every decision that individual Texans would make. And he knows that individual Texans make decisions in their best interest. Well, I guess I should not say that. What should I say? Um, he knows that people will make a decision that doesn't do exactly what he thinks they should do if they think it's in their best interest. So he wants to insert himself in the decision-making process and say, hey, before you think about it, if there's 80-mile-an-hour winds and trees falling down and flooding happening, don't you dare shelter with somebody not in your own household. It just shows a lack of understanding regarding how we manage risk in our lives. If you think you're in an area that is going to get flooded, that is going to put your entire family at risk, you should leave. And if you leaving means you go stay with somebody else in their home, that's okay. You should make that risk calculation for yourself. You should call them and talk to them. Maybe they've been socially distancing. Maybe they haven't gotten out very much. We had friends of ours that were our COVID buddies that we hung out with because we really didn't do a whole lot of interacting in March and April, and we decided to take a couple other families that also weren't doing a lot of interacting with other people in public and spend some time together as a community. But according to Greg Abbott, that is the worst possible calculation you could make, not taking into account the fact that he's giving this briefing when he's talking about potential natural disasters that could destroy people's property and in a really bad event, take a life. It's just one other example of how Governor Abbott has continued to just show that he is out of touch with the vast majority of conservative Republicans when it comes to this. And and remember... I stand with Governor Abbott. I just stand with like the mid-June Governor Abbott. I stand with the Governor Abbott who said, I'm not going to do a statewide mask mandate because it's an infringement on individual liberties. That's not me. That's not Ron Paul. That's not Jonathan Stickland. That's not like the most conservative factions of the Republican Party saying that this is an infringement on individual liberty. That's our governor saying that his own actions are that infringement. Next, we're going to talk about Neil Gorsuch, Alan West, Governor Abbott, Neil Gorsuch. Why Neil Gorsuch? So Neil Gorsuch had a dissenting opinion that he released, and on the Calvary Chapel case that just became before the Supreme Court. And it was in opposition to the Calvary Chapel. Uh, you know, Calvert Chapel lost. It was a striking blow. It was a uh, not-too-uncommon-at-this-point coalition of John Roberts, the Chief Justice, and the four most consistent liberals. I, I used to call them the four consistent liberals, but I really think they're the four most consistent liberals because the truth is we've seen John Roberts, Neil Gorsuch, or even Brett Kavanaugh at times break and go with the liberals to help them enact their liberal policy. And since they only need one of them, they can usually get one of those three to break. Other than Alito and Thomas, those three are up for grabs. So Neil Gorsuch writes a dissent, which gets a whole lot of traction amongst conservative Republicans. I saw this thing posted a hundred times, if I saw it posted once. I mean, it was on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram... People were writing about it. Neil Gorsuch's fiery dissent on the Calvary Chapel case because the Supreme Court ruled that Nevada could keep these onerous regulations over Calvary Chapel that they weren't even keeping over casinos. And to Neil Gorsuch's point, he said, quote, there is no world in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel. And people loved it because it just showed the hypocrisy of where SCOTUS was taking our religious liberty, the idiocy in the rationale behind saying that you can regulate these churches in a way that you're not even regulating a casino. Unfortunately, that world does exist. The world where we... Can give preferential treatment to Caesar's Palace over Calvary Chapel exists today. And conservatives need to wake up to the fact that that exists today. One of the things that I found so strange, and this gets into my problem with Neil Gorsuch's words, is that after the Bostock case, I had so many conservative Republicans that I knew that I reached out to that just weren't really sure what this meant for religious liberty. They weren't really sure where we were headed. They weren't really sure how bad it really was. 30 days prior to this ruling, Neil Gorsuch wrote, not sided with, but wrote an opinion in the Bostock case that not only said that the word sex means sexual identity and who you want to have sex with, but it also, he also described a male, a man, as a woman. In an entirety of an opinion. Anthony Stevens worked at a funeral home in the Bostock case, and Anthony decided that he was a woman, and this caused some problems with his employer, and that problem ended up going before the Supreme Court. But... In 2007, I'm going to read this real quick from the National Review. The funeral home hired Stevens in October of 2007. At the time, Stevens' legal name was Anthony Stevens. All of the funeral home's employment records pertaining to Stevens, including driver's license, tax records, mortuary science license, identify Stevens as a male. Stevens served as the funeral director in Balmer for the funeral home for nearly six years under the name Anthony Stevens. Gorsuch instead, this is in his opinion, Turns this into Amy Stevens. He says Amy Stevens worked at R G and G R Harris Funeral Homes in Garden City, Michigan. When she got the job, Miss Stevens presented as a male. What did she get the job or did he get the job? Because when he got the job, he was a he, and then years later he decided he might be a she, and now evidently he was a she the entire time. That's the, That is the scary worldview which Neil Gorsuch possesses. Neil Gorsuch wrote the document that said that he not only is a she now, but he was a she even when he was a he. I hope you followed that. You need to learn to follow these things because this is the world we live in. This is the world that Neil Gorsuch is scared of. He's thinking now, does a world exist where Calvary Chapel could be preferred over Caesar's palace? Yes, Neil Gorsuch, it exists. 30 days ago, you referred to a he as a she, even when a he was a he. You don't think that same world might start disrespecting religious liberty? Neil Gorsuch, in his opinion in the Bostock case, said, well, other future problems we're going to have within this gender spectrum will be decided in future court cases. Yes, it will, Neil. Future court cases that you will preside over. And if you keep calling he's, she's, you shouldn't be surprised when all of your colleagues say, hey, we're not sure religious liberty is really maybe what it used to be within this state. Our nation has a foundation built. I've done a little bit of construction here and there. We own some rental properties and do some real estate stuff. And so... Uh, I've had homes with foundation problems, okay? And here's what you can't do. You cannot go to one side of the house and knock out a couple pillars that are holding up a pier and beam foundation and be surprised when on the other side of your house, you start seeing cracks in the wall. You want to know why? Because the entire house is built on one foundation, which means shifting anywhere affects the entire structure. And Neil Gorsuch lives in this siloed reality that he's created for himself, where he can say a he is a she and then be flabbergasted when religious liberty is under attack. We've gotta wake up. We've gotta recognize that the sexual revolutionaries that are gun ho on changing the entire face of our nation are teaming up with multiple other factions. To completely undermine the system we have, the culture we have, the society we have, the ordered liberty which we have lived in and flourished in and succeeded in. And not when I say we, I'm not referring to me and a couple other select individuals. I'm saying the system, the society where more people have flourished than anyone in human history, than anyone around the world. People Will do anything they can to get into this nation because of the amount of human flourishing that goes on in an ordered society with ordered liberty, with opportunity. You cannot take away the ethical and moral foundation of our society and still have that flourishing. It will not happen. I try not to get too distracted by federal issues because, honestly, there's so many people out there giving you an opinion on federal issues. They're a dime a dozen. You don't need me. And I'm trying to stay focused on Texas because I think Texas is ground zero for the fight for our freedoms and liberty in this nation. Anyways, that's what I have. Thank you all for giving me a week off. Not, I mean, you might not. Have. You might be really pissed. You might never listen to my podcast again because I didn't publish last Monday. But I'm trying to publish this Monday. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, guys. God bless. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messiah Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review Two, visit Luke and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.